You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. Hey, episode 29. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Sorry. Was that a very dramatic pause? I think we should keep the dramatic pause in Okay, there. I was thinking, how am I going to greet everybody? And I came with a big hi. Hey, it's one week before Christmas. Whoa, how's everybody doing out there? Um, everyone's not doing good with sending us stories to talk about. We need some good foibles, some holiday foibles. Is it just not going to happen, Canolios? Does nobody want to share? Does everybody their... just have straight, uneventful <laughs> holiday experience? Or should we take it? really personal and the fact that you don't want to share your life with us on the podcast that's fine we can move on it's cool it's a failure we were a failure on this one i will i will share my one story but you're gonna have to wait till next week the christmas episode okay because it will go up on christmas but if you have a few days left to send us some fun holiday stories i will share my grandma my grandma story from 1999 (laughs) 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 that will make you laugh (laughs) because it makes me laugh okay Anything else you want to share? Why people should do that, honey? Because they really should send us a strange and sacred Christmas it's story. Fun. It help kind of helps us all feel normal <laughs> that we all have stuff that happens. Uh, we all have funny relatives. We all have funny <laughs> unplanned surprises. We all whatever. have them. We it's are those fun funny to, relatives. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you don't have funny relatives, you're the funny relative. My brother and I were talking last night. I'm gonna call out my brother Christopher right now but we were talking about how when we get in the car sometimes after a big family event how you just process with your spouse yeah and you just go wow wow and you just talk and he was sharing about you know they've had birthdays they have we have so many Christmas birthdays holiday birthdays in our family and so people getting together Wendy has a holiday birthday what's up Wendy was born on the 30th of December I feel for all you December birthdays oh my man gosh. my dad rough. was born on Christmas Eve Ugh. our niece was born the 15th, the 15th yeah. so that's lots of conjecture for the family is that the right word I don't know <laughs> wow lots of foibles Convergent. I'm gonna use that word one more time foibles it's a foible family okay here's what we have today guess what I have been going crazy with getting ready for our screening. I'm uh, recording this like hours before we have our first Brave Maker monthly screening. And it's happening uh, December 17th. So if you're listening to this afterwards, 2018, you get to enjoy an interview with Richard Levine, who's a filmmaker in San Francisco. And it's a crossover episode. You know why? Why? Because this is a new podcast that I'm starting. (laughs) because I need more things to do, but it's called the Brave Maker Podcast. So the Brave Maker Podcast will be its own special thing, and I have another co-host. I'm not cheating on you, babe. But Who's the other co-host? The co-host is Rebecca Amosa, who is a fashion designer and storyteller, Sweet. and she is joining the Brave Maker team. She is an awesome gift because she came from Canada, lived in Spain, and is not yet an American citizen, so she can't get paid, <laughs> unfortunately for her, but fortunately for for us, she's donating her time yeah. to building the Brave Maker brand, which is so awesome. super awesome. So she's been making movies with us. She's been fashion designing with uh, some other filmmaker friends here in the Bay Area. She's uh, programming the film festival with me. And so you'll get to meet her and uh, talk to her, well, listen to her through the Brave Maker podcast. So that's our Holy Cannoli podcast today is the first ever Brave Maker podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. So when's that coming out? It's out. 
Today was the first day it comes out today. Oh, yeah. sweet. So I'm launching it. It's already out there. Simultaneously. Nobody knows. Actually, the Holy Cannoli listeners, listeners are the first to know. You guys heard it here first. You're the first to know, and then I'll announce it live tonight at the film screening cool. with Brave Maker so people can listen to the filmmaker that we're hosting yeah, tonight. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I've already got a couple great interviews with filmmakers and creators. The whole idea is it's about scripts and stories and conversations with creators. Okay. Yeah, and wait till you hear the opening voice. I kicked my kids off of this podcast too and got a British woman to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Scripts, stories. We all want British voices. <laughs> That's right. in and our conversations lives. with creators. This is the Brave Maker podcast. All right. <laughs> so if people miss the screening tonight. Oh my gosh, yes, we have another one. What could they do? Okay, you got to go to bravemaker.com and sign up for the Brave Maker Buzz. And it's like a monthly twice a monthly email, but our next screening is already in the books. So Jan not in the books, on the books, right? On the calendar. On the calendar, January 19th. It's a Saturday night, and we're going to be screening a documentary called I'll Push You about two best friends who hiked the 500 El Camino uh, pilgrimage in Spain. But big deal, right? No. I mean, 500, 500 miles is a big deal. But what's oh a big deal about this is it takes like six weeks to do it. What's a big deal about this story is that one of the guys was in a wheelchair. So his best friend pushes him. I already, I, wow. I cried at the trailer, but I already saw the film and said I got to screen this movie. Oh so. my gosh, awesome! Yeah. So that's January nineteenth, twenty nineteen. So you guys have the heads up. Heads up. Get your calendar set. Get, get it on. your babysitters Do together. It. Do and it. And pay attention to more details. That's right. So as they come out. Follow along, bravemaker.com. More info to come. We'll post it on the Facebook page for Holy Cannoli. But don't be startled with a new introduction because this is the crossover episode. Don't forget. Oh, so here you okay. go. Here's the don't new. Be startled, everybody. <laughs> Get your dance and shoes on because it's a little bit. All right. Merry Christmas. Bye. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Music, 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 music. It fades down. Hey, Brave Makers. This is, we're your hosts, or however we want to do it. Do we, we can, say we it can, in unison? No. Like I mean, cheesy? We, we could play, play around with it. <laughs> 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 I think we should start with that. Like, that's how we should start it. Just what? with what you just said. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're here. This is the very first Brave Maker podcast. Welcome. Who are we? I'm Rebecca Mosa. And I'm Tony Gaffastone. And we are starting and launching a whole new thing. So bear with us as we figure out what it's going to be. But we thought today for this podcast episode, we tell you who we are, what we're trying to put out there. So what you could expect from episode to episode, why we're doing it, and then a special guest. You want to start? Sure. So like I said, I'm Rebecca Mosa. I am a fashion designer also studied business, marketing, art direction, um, mentor for modern art. I do a lot of different things, but mostly, I guess, as I'm learning, I am a storyteller. Yeah. <laughs> and I am passionate about other creators. I'm passionate about learning about them, about their craft, how they do things. And I think that we hope to translate that to you as well on this podcast. You know, you know I have to make a comment about your about knew that was coming. You knew it was coming because Rebecca is this awesome gift to the Brave Maker community. She comes from all around the world. <laughs> She'll tell you a little bit about that. She was in Spain and did school there, but she was born in Canada. 
Yes, born and raised in Canada and moved to Spain. I also lived a little bit in Italy and I've studied in Germany. And now I'm here in sunny California where I met Tony, which has been amazing so far. And yes, sometimes you will hear uh, about, you'll hear <laughs> out, <laughs> house, all of those great things. Um, You've picked up things in my accent, though, too, right? What which have you I picked was, up? Which I was just getting <laughs> let's to. Let's hear. Let's hear what you so, picked up. So uh, I've got a nice Midwest <laughs> accent to, to look forward to as well. Um, if you hear Tony say God, it's going to be more like God <laughs> and that sort of thing. So feel free to point out um, in any comments when you hear those beautiful uh, different accents coming That's from us. That's awesome, you guys. Yeah. That is the... So awesome. Well, I'm Tony Gapastone, and about, about, hey, I just said about. <laughs> uh, earlier in the 2018 year, I had this crazy idea to follow after some dreams I've always had to spend my life creating and making, especially in film, writing, and directing and producing. And I started Brave Maker with the hope to create a community of brave makers who are making stuff. And I really did it because I felt like I needed it. <laughs> I needed people around me to help me because I have been trying to figure this whole creative life out for quite a long time. And it's a risky, scary life, but it's been really meaningful and significant. And so this whole podcast uh, is starting to encourage you listeners to make your stuff. We're going to be bringing on guests and we're going to have correspondence. Rebecca, we're super excited about like having our friends who are all over the place interview yeah. their friends and creatives. Tell them about that. Definitely. Correspondence, um, different cities with different networks, different people that they're connected with, different creative fields. So we really want it to be a collaborative type thing. The great thing about Tony is that if you're willing to put in the work, he's willing to take you along for the ride. <laughs> so Yeah, I got to like pull <laughs> Rebecca into the film world. Yeah, that's that's my newest thing now. So adding film. I'm getting my experience. Lately, I've been on a couple of sets, and it's really eye-opening, really, really cool stuff going on. So Rebecca is this, like, really brilliant fashion designer, and we'll have to post some of your stuff out in the world so people can get it. We're trying to figure out. We don't even have our our, 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 our Facebook group or our social media stuff. We have our own thing, kind of, and we have the Brave Maker page. We'll figure out how this whole podcasting is going to work so we can put our work out there. But Rebecca and I connected in June of 2018, and she's jumped right in because she's from the, the world and <laughs> jumping into California and she's going, Hey, I have a couple hours a week where I'd like to do something creative. And I said, well, I got a few projects. And so which uh, her fashion design has helped on a n numerous different things, which is super cool. She got to do back to back projects in the same like weekend. She was shooting from like six in the morning <laughs> to like 10 at night on multiple film projects. So how was that film experience by the way? Uh, yeah, that was great. It was two very different types of films and types of film sets. So a lot of different experience, like Tony said, sometimes around waking up very, very early and then shooting on the second film till 10, 11 at night and then going home and working on stuff for the morning of the next film. It was really, really crazy. But I think I got a lot of experience in a short amount of time that I can use. So really super great. I love it. I think so for the next podcast, I think you and I should talk and interview each other about our creative process. That would be cool because that's the, the, the why behind why we're doing this is we, we want to give people 
the stories of how other people bravely make their work because being a creative person is not easy. It's a uh, a choice to really live in a way that's sometimes countercultural, that doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, the normal, you know, nine to five corporate world. You are, you know, up early and, and going to bed late and sometimes you're working through the night and your hands are bleeding because you're putting together wardrobe or you're pounding your head against the wall feeling, how am I going to get the funding to bring this vision to life? But we want to help you, brave makers out there, you listeners, hear the behind the scenes, the stories of how people are conquering those fears and what they're doing and how they got their start and how they keep going. And the big thing is how they don't give up. That's what this podcast is going to help you. I hope I'm, I need it because I sat in my car today for like 20 minutes going, I want to give up. It seems like this is so hard, but I, I told myself the only reason I don't give up is I want to see the end of the story. I want to see how this is going to end. Right. I have no idea how it's going to end. So today uh, we have a, well, before we go into our special guest, how can people find you on social media, Rebecca? So on social media, it's R-A-M-O-S-A underscore K-A-H and get a little sneak peek behind the scenes of what I'm doing and what I'm up to. What about you, Tony? I am my name, Tony, and the last name is spelled G-A-P-A-S-T-I-O-N-E. And that's Italian, so you have to pronounce every syllable. Gapastione. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can just say Gapastone, that's fine. But I'm on Insta and Twitter and all that kind of stuff and posting a lot of uh, the creative journey. Do you want to say anything else before we introduce our first guest? Oh, just the handle I gave. That's my Instagram. So I didn't, I don't think I specified that. Oh, okay. You're on Insta. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Levine, Richard Levine, the filmmaker, Mr. Richard Levine is our guest today. And it's really cool because it's coming out the day that we're actually screening his film. He is a feature Yay. filmmaker and he's our inaugural Brave Maker screening filmmaker, which is really cool. So he screened his film called Collisions on December 17th in the Century 20 Theater in Redwood City. And if you follow along the Brave Maker journey, we are going to be screening, hopefully, uh, movies monthly and then having an annual film fest June 1st and 2nd, 2019. So if you're a filmmaker, you could submit your shorts and features, documentaries and narratives on filmfreeway.com and under Brave Maker Film Fest. And Rebecca and I will see you and see your work and would love to host you and help you in any way with your, uh, with your films, if you're in the Bay Area especially. And it's open to the world, really. Yeah, and if you're not a filmmaker and you just appreciate film, come mm -hmm. and check us out. Come to mm -hmm. the screenings. Come to the Film Fest. Come just to say hey. And, you know, if you want to get involved, let us know. And we've got some other ideas for this podcast. Like Rebecca, I think, or was it Jessica? I forget. One of our producers of the yeah. podcast was talking about uh, getting musicians to submit like the outro music. So yes. if you are a composer or in any way create music, you can submit stuff to us. Uh, and it's the, the email is podcast at bravemaker.com. And we'll play your music uh, at, the, at the end in our credits and that kind of thing. So we would love to have that creators we want you yeah <laughs> okay cool uh so no further ado here is uh my interview with richard levine brave stories change the world you are the story so richard levine welcome to the brave maker podcast thanks tony yeah this is our inaugural podcast so you get to be our first uh, interview so yay thank you so much 
So we're figuring out what this whole thing is going to be, but we desire to talk with people who are making stuff, hear their process, talk about the things that they've had to conquer along the way. And the cool thing is we have this screening coming up that uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you might be one of the first people to have seen the film. I think you've only had three screenings so far. Is that correct? Yeah, well, two two festivals. Yeah. Two festivals, yeah. yeah. Mil, the Mill Valley Film Festival and the Downtown LA Film Festival. That's awesome. And you won the Mill Valley Film Festival. Yeah, yeah, we won the uh, Audience Award for U.S. Independent Cinema, um, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. We're so uh, honored and, uh, yeah, very excited about that. So uh, let's kind of jump back to the beginning of your story in some way. You said you're from New Zealand. Uh, how did you first know you were supposed to be making stuff? When did that sort of realization come? That's a really good question. Um, because honestly, um, it took a while. Um, filmmaking is kind of my third or fourth mm. career now. Um, um, I originally came to the U.S. to study physics, um, to do a Ph.D. in theoretical physics. Um, that is quite a turn. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I finished that Ph.D., but about halfway through, I started realizing it wasn't really for me. You know, wow. I, I love physics, but the actual job of being a physicist. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of lonely, actually. Mm. Like uh, I, I would see my advi- I had a great advisor. I'd see him once every two weeks for about an hour, and that was considered a super close working relationship with your advisor. And then I'd go back home and do algebra in my room uh, alone, you know. And and I was also working on stuff which might be testable in like twenty or thirty years or something. Wow. So it was kind of lonely and yeah. a very delayed gratification. Right? You know? Am I doing <laughs> so anything really that's going to impact the world uh, now? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and where was that? That, w- that was in uh, Princeton, New Jersey. Okay. So, yeah. okay. Um, um, so then um, uh, during that PhD, I decided I wanted to play uh, rock music and be, be a rock star. Oh, my gosh. So physicist <laughs> turned rock star. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we had a band with other uh, disgruntled foreign physicists, um, which probably should have been our brand name. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and so that was awesome. Um, and we had really very little ability or a talent but like wanted to change the world and um but then i ended up being the only one left in that band and we had this whole plan to move to california and and get jobs which would keep which would get us visas like Mm -hmm. we decided to do um get into programming just so we could stay in the country and get a visa and like do that um part of the time and do our music the rest of the time and so I, I kept doing that um, for a few years. Now, were you playing guitar? Were you singing? What was your role in this? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so You're like, all, yeah, all, all, all of it. All, all of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the sing, writing songs, playing guitar, playing a bit of drums and bass as well. But um, um, the, none of it particularly well. Um, um, so were you, were you living off of that, though? How are you paying your bills? No, no, absolutely not. No, not even close. I mean, and that was the sort of final realization was I was having, I was enjoying it, but like not even getting close to figuring out how to make a living yeah. at that. I, uh, honestly, I think um, um, being like an original singer-songwriter or whatever is, is, is one of the few things that's harder than filmmaking, mm. right? Like a lot harder. Mm. Like, because you, you, really, you really are like, you know, filmmaking, one of the great things about filmmaking is that it's, um, there's so many more people involved that um, you, you get help and there's all kinds of roles you can play. You know, whereas you're trying to make it in music, it's really just you and and and, and your 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 talent, mm-hmm. and, um, and it can be very lonely from that point of view. So, um, 
so yeah, I, I kind of got uh, a little depressed about that. It wasn't going anywhere. I um, and you know had sort of an early midlife crisis when I was like turning thirty, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, and and just just for fun, I decided I just needed to have some fun. So just purely for fun, I enrolled in this um, uh, UC Berkeley Extension Introduction to Digital uh, Video. It's just okay. a, a six-week summer course, like make a short film, like write a script, shoot it, edit it. Um, and I just had more fun doing that than I'd ever had doing anything in my in my whole life. So um, so then I decided, well, this is only supposed to be for fun, but maybe I should see where this is going. And I started um, uh, taking classes and then volunteering at an outfit called Film Arts Foundation in uh, San Francisco. Which, um, do they still exist? They do not still exist, okay. unfo- yeah, unfortunately. Um, the uh, San Francisco Film Society, which is now called SF Film, mm-hmm. took over a good part of what they do. So okay. the fiscal sponsorship of projects and some classes and, um, um, and grants and awards. Um, and so, so yes, so so part of it still exists. Um, um, but it was a, it was a wonderful place to. Uh, they also had a gear rental place where where, where I, I volunteered and then worked and and because they they had the cheapest gear in San Francisco. I mean, uh, honestly, it wasn't always the highest quality gear. Like sometimes things would break or whatever. Uh-huh. But you knew it was going to be the cheapest light you could get, or sure. the cheapest camera, or the cheapest sound recorder in San Francisco. So every single indie filmmaker would go there. You go there first and see if Film Arts had it, and if they don't have it, you go so, go to the more expensive rental place. Mm-hmm. So you literally just by hanging out at Film Arts, you'd see the entire indie community of San Francisco, you know, um, it, every month or two. Um, so that was a wonderful place to meet people, and uh, by taking classes, it kind of became my film school, mm-hmm. and um, just got more and more into it. And um, and uh, yeah, that that's how I sort of stumbled into filmmaking so did you find your crew did you find people that you began making you know more shorts together whether some some sort of consecutive uh continuity among that or was it kind of just like picking and choosing how did that whole process go to actually know like you made a film and then you made another one and another one and tell us about that yeah yeah well i I made i made some you know short films just by doing those classes but i think none of them were ones that i really you know put a whole lot of whole lot of time and effort into but that, that was super fun and then i started um i kind of stumbled into editing as well and that, that that's now my kind of day job is that i edit films uh, for other people and that, that started at film arts and um that was I, I, when i was playing in a band i did a bunch of record sound recording using pro tools and um you know figured out that the video editing uh, at least the interfaces were, ex- you know, extremely similar. So it was mm-hmm. very easy to just to pick up Final Cut Pro mm-hmm. six or seven or whatever it was back then, and actually five, I think, uh-huh. <laughs> and start um, and start editing with that. And then I started editing friends' films and um, and started realizing I could, I could actually make a living doing that, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and although to be honest, at the beginning, film editing was something I thought I would do maybe for a year or two. Until I could, you know, maybe maybe support myself by directing. I thought mm-hmm. film editing was kind of. I had this perception of it that film editing was mostly a technical kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was like ninety percent technical and ten percent creative. You're kind of just pushing these buttons mm-hmm. or whatever and putting the putting the thing together. And um, quite quickly realized that it was more or less the opposite. I think it's about you know ninety percent of your time is spent doing creative stuff and about ten percent technical and just really started enjoying it and, and, you know, more or less right from the beginning. And, and, um, and even through to now, I, I'm, I'm very happy with the, um, 
with my my filmmaking life in that I generally spend about somewhere around about two thirds of the time editing for other people and about a third of the time you know writing and directing my own projects and I actually really like that balance because um, honestly I'm not sure if I have the right personality to be making my own films 100% of the time because it's just so much um, I find it so much trickier to be the one the only well not the only one but the main one who's trying to figure out is anybody gonna uh, fund this film oh is anybody gosh, gonna see this film yeah. is anybody you know is anybody gonna care yeah um i can do that about a third of the time and stay sane <laughs> but the other two-thirds of the time to be having this creative role but not being the main person that's mm. worrying about those other right. factors i think is wonderful it, it's like I, I liken it to being 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 like the drummer in the band but not the band leader. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes the drummer is the band leader, right? right? But but just being the musician who's involved in in the creative decision making, but not the one that's trying to book the gigs. And um, I, I I I love that. And then that that gives me energy, so that the one third of the time that I'm really putting it out there, I have I, my my batteries are charged up again um, to do that. So that makes sense. As you were talking about the loneliness of the singer songwriter life, I was thinking the director life can tend to really be lonely, even though you do have a lot of collaborators around you. Most times, you know, my experience has been the director has to carry the whole project. You yeah. have to be the most passionate. You have to be the person. You're also producing. You're trying to find the funds. Right. And uh, usually what's great was an editor doesn't have to find funds. You know, Usually yeah, exactly. they're coming to you with funds saying, yes. we have this exactly. project. Yeah, that's exactly. a great yeah, that's yeah. a great perspective there. Yeah, and, and I, I've had a ton of help on my on my feature, and and still have a ton of help um, now, especially from um, uh, a couple of the uh, producers. Um, but still, you know, they're they're not working on it full time. It's right. still, as you say, it is still, you know, I, I'm the one that that has to keep it keep the continuity. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that's yeah, that can be a that can definitely be a strain at. Um, at the times when th when nothing much is happening, which is mm -hmm. most of the time <laughs> my experience, <laughs> like th there's the brief uh, the brief uh, chaos of production, and then there's uh, post production, uh, which is kind of my safe, happy place because that you know that's kind of what I do. So yeah. uh, I love that part. And then um, now I'm in the kind of sales and distribution side of it, and and you know parts of that are are, are pretty fun, but you know there's an awful lot of just waiting around and lots so, of uh, waiting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, before we jump into actual to, to your film collisions here, how would you talk or describe your conquering of those challenges as a filmmaker now that you have, this is your second feature film? Is no. Right? It's no, your first. first yeah. Oh, it's your yes. very first. Okay. Yeah. You have, maybe you directed a short, I, I saw yeah. your IMDb. Okay. Yeah. So your first feature film, that's huge. How, uh, how would you describe the, the obstacles that you had to get over? Obviously the funding, but just getting the idea and all the different things that really I go, this is the brave making process to be right. this type of creator. You really do have to conquer your own negative self-talk, uh, all the challenges of the waiting and the no. Sometimes I think the waiting in silence with no answers from people you ask for help is worse than getting a no. Oh, absolutely. I'd rather get a no yes, absolutely. than nothing. Yeah, yeah. If there's one part of this business I wish oh. I could change, would be like instant nose. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, and, and for, for, I, I have a crazy idea about it, about a festival that's just <laughs> designed for, f for filmmakers. And the only different, you know, there's a, there's a lot of festivals out there. The only differentiator would be you'd get an answer within like a week or something. Uh, that's or, or, good. Or, or like you get an yeah. answer within a week of like, 
you didn't make the cut. Like, like, like they, you, you, you send ninety percent of the people the answer. Like, you're, you're immediately rejected, and huh. that would be such a relief. And then, or, or, or you've right. made it to the light last ten percent, and yeah. we'll let you know in another two weeks if you made the, uh, made the thing. Like, I think that would be. Richard, I think, I think that, that would be popular. That's filmmakers. really good, actually, because you know what? We are doing that very thing with Brave Maker Film Fest. We oh, have nice. some, nice. you know, I always felt like, gosh, I never thought of it. I always felt like we should wait to do it all at one time. But now that I think about it on the filmmaker side, it would be nice because there are some that just don't have the right story or the right production quality or the right, you know, like we're looking for diverse cast. Like that stuff might not exist. So why wait? Why make them wait until April to know? That's actually, yeah. I'm going to talk to my team about that. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, feel free to take my, you can, I, I'm not even going to copyright it. You can just, if you just implement it, that'll, that'll be fine. I this just want to see it out there. This is the first podcast, so we'll be able to go back to where that idea came from. Richard Levine, everybody. You heard it here first. Um, yeah, so um, I guess actually, maybe, so one of the, th- one of the obstacles, I guess, was just, um, um, thinking you know can i make a quality film of any length and so i did have this one short film that i I made one short film that i did put my sort of whole effort into and that was called immersion i made it back in 2008 um and um yes um so and that was kind of in many ways a a rehearsal for the feature and helped a lot with like proving to myself that Mm -hmm. i could do something because shorts are you know lower budget but this was like a um a reasonable budget for a short um, because we, you know, we shot actually five days, which is a bunch of days, and and with real crew. I mean, they're all working for way below their usual rates, but um, th- th- we had to raise a real budget, and um, we actually did it in the days, b- sort of immediately before the whole crowdfunding thing really got going. We did our own version of uh, crowdfunding. Um, um, I think it might have been Facebook Causes was this brief kind of thing that happened where you could like hmm. like through Facebook or one of those channels you could have a bunch of people to all donate to a cause and 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 get some like build some momentum around that like you have until this date to to do yep. it and of course now that's extremely common but it w- didn't really exist back then but so we got a little bit of money that way and um and uh, yeah got the budget together shot with a real crew for 5 days um and working with kids um, as well. well the, this uh, immersion is about a ten-year-old boy who's just moved to California from Mexico, and he doesn't speak any English, and his teacher doesn't speak any Spanish. So mm. it's just a day in his life of how does he navigate that, not understanding his own teacher. So I was very much inspired by um, uh, my wife Zareen works um, at a local school here in the Mission, um, and just inspired by. Uh, some of the challenges that her students uh, faced. So um, we actually shot it at her school. Hmm. And um, so that was kind of a great dress rehearsal. And, and then and then that film d- did did pretty well on the on the festival circuit. So, um, so I guess that helped, you know, with my own ego or whatever, just to know that I could make something that people liked and was... Um, and was you know validated to a certain to a certain degree, and that because of that that helped a lot with getting the feature going, um, because my short came out in the same year that SF Film um, did the first of its grants um, with the Rainin Foundation. Okay. Um, so they're called I think they're called the SF Film Rainin Foundation grants, and the very first one um, um, for screenwriting. Um, it was being awarded the same year that my my short film played the SF uh, International Film Festival, 
and and at one best Bay Area short, and so I think that was a huge, and it's on the same also on an immigration related theme, so that was a huge help in me getting that first grant uh, uh, for a screenwriting. Okay. So then I had had a bunch of money to actually sit and and uh, work on the screenplay. Oh, um, so you were one of those who won like the lottery ticket with grants. That's awesome. Basically, yeah. Oh so wow. Definitely had a lot of luck with that, and 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 the film. I don't want to say the feature film wouldn't exist without it, um, but uh, because I think I would have had enough um, energy to make it, but it would have taken, you know, as it was, it took 10 years. It would probably would have taken 20 years. <laughs> wow. It took you 10 years to yes. make that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you yes. win the best short film in 2008, you said? In 2009. 2009 yeah. at the SF Film Festival. And then at the same time, you win the Rain and Grant, which if you're unfamiliar listeners... This is, a, a, I think, an annual. If not, they do a couple different versions. Twice. Twice. Annual, yeah. Okay. You can submit a project for, they look for specific projects that tend to be around justice and social, social issues. Social justice, yeah, right? exactly. Right? Yeah. And they're funding projects all around the world. It's not just Bay Area filmmakers, which I often have felt frustrated with because you're competing as a Bay Area filmmaker with the world. Yeah. <laughs> and they maybe yeah. have like, what, how many? I know the residency, they do 40. These grants, they do 10, 12. I think, yeah, the like I think they give, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's it's at least five, maybe five to eight grants uh, twice a year. And, yeah, they do give to, um, y you can be a filmmaker anywhere around the world. To, to get the grant, you have to commit to some, to being in the Bay Area in some sense. Like if you do post, you have to actually come and do post here mm -hmm. or if you're screenwriting I think you have to actually like move here and like write here or mm -hmm. whatever so so it, it is a mix there are they definitely support a lot of local projects but they do do some some international ones also um and so um, was it basically like starting like kind of seed money yeah yeah for the yeah, feature. yeah yeah exactly for, um, yeah. So, so some money so I could actually take some time off and write mm -hmm. which is a luxury that it's great most people do not get yeah. so I'm fully aware that, that was a super big um um, boost um, and the um, first draft of the screenplay um, was um, th so the screenplay was based on an uh, idea by this woman Malin Alegria um, who actually used to teach at the same school that, that um, Zareen teaches at and now she is a um, an author of uh, books for uh, preteen girls especially um, amazing um, author um, um, and she had this idea about this girl who comes home from school and her apartment's overturned and her mom's been taken away. So the basic premise that I think is, in a way, I think the strongest part of the of the film came came from her. And she um, she helped me write the the first draft of the of the screenplay. Oh wow! Um, okay. And that using that grant money that really helped with that, so I could actually pay her some money to do that. Wow. And, um, and then I I worked on it with her a little bit, and then I kind of took it took it from there. Um, and um, then we we applied. Um, um, SF Film also um, introduced me to a uh, producer called Chad Burris, um, who was a, um, a fairly experienced producer. Um, and um, he really helped. Uh, one of the ways he helped develop the project for a couple of years while we were looking for actors, basically looking for money. And one thing he really helped with was he was good friends with. Um, this woman Heidi Levitt um, in LA, who's a uh, a real heavyweight casting director, like um, 
she cast um, uh, Natural Born Killers and JFK and films by Vin Vendors, and she won the Casting Association Award because she cast The Artist, you know, which won Best Picture oh, wow. a few years okay. back. And so when she calls actors or their agents, they pick up. <laughs> the first of all, she knows them all. Uh -huh. like, and and she's, she's specifically interested in, in Latino projects. She... Um, she uh, casts for um, Diego Luna's films, and um, so she's very well connected to the uh, Latino actors. And so when and so she knows them all, she either knows the actors or she knows their agents or their managers. And when she calls, they pick up the phone because mm -hmm. it's Heidi Levitt. So, mm -hmm. um, and when she puts a casting notice in saying, "We want the best like unknown kids, uh, like twelve-year-old girls and six to nine-year-old boys," you know come out and be in the next film with with the casting director of Natural Born Killers and JFK. We're like, we got the, I think the best kids in LA. Yeah, those out. kids so, in your film um, are great. Yeah, so that's that's really Heidi Levitt in, you know, through Chad Burris making that introduction that, 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 that made that happen. And, and it was SF Film that introduced me to Chad Burris. So it was, a, wow. it was definitely like a chain of, I've been very fortunate to have this chain of, yep. of like just enough people that were really on my side. And the person who was, who was, um, through it all, or almost all of it, she just um, switched jobs. But um, Michelle Turnier Saleo oh, yeah. at, at SF her. Film, mm -hmm. she was. I, I wish I could give her. Like, I don't think I'm allowed to give her like an executive producer credit because she was, you know, running the grants, um, mm -hmm. the grants that the film was getting. So I think that would sort of look bad or whatever. But that's. But she deserves it. She was really the executive producer, like wow. the whole way through, like believing in the project from the, from before there even was a full script through all the way through. And she's from New Zealand too, right? She's from Australia. Australia, yes. okay, that's right. Yeah. She married in a... Yes. I remember I had lunch with her. I met her at Sundance, and right. she was really helpful to me, but then she left SF Film, and now she's doing her own stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's very cool. Yeah, she's now um, uh, Ferocious Entertainment. Um, so yeah. she's... Um, she yeah she got a round of uh, funding and she's doing uh, similar things. She's, she's investing money in, in, in features and... That's awesome. Yeah. So it sounds pretty easy. You didn't have to be very brave then, Richard. Yeah, no, I didn't <laughs> have to be brave at all. No, I, no, I, no honestly, it, well, I, I had a ton of luck, um, but still, honestly, it felt it felt hard. So which is why um, I'm, I'm just constantly in admiration of people that that make a feature without getting any grants. Because mm -hmm. honestly, getting a grant for a fiction feature in the U.S. is really rare. Like I'm fully aware of that. Like. Um, Documentary films, I mean, even documentary films, a lot of the ones I work on don't get grants or only get grants from individuals or like family foundations. But for fiction features, there's really only SF film. There's um, uh, Cinereach in, in, in New York, and, um, and that's about it. Mm. Like, um, I mean, th there are some smaller ones as well, but those are the big, big ones, and they don't give that many grants. So, um, and they're not that huge, you know, they're like, you know. Thirty thousand, up to like eighty or hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars, but that's but that's it. So um, so you still had to find other investors, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we were very fortunate. We, so we did get um, uh, grants for screenwriting, and, and the other good thing about SF Film is that once they have supported a project, they do tend to support it the whole way through. So because they got in really early with screenwriting, we, we were lucky enough to get grants for screenwriting development production and post-production so we got four grants from that wow. which was huge wow huge. and again like without that i like to think the film would still get made but mm -hmm. it would be another few years down the track before mm -hmm. i could have phrased that mm -hmm. money so and it still took you 10 years with that with all that yeah help, right? yeah and 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 you know most of that was the writing process the you know I, i'd written one other um screenplay before um you know not produced um so it, it was only my second one and honestly i was doing a lot of learning on the on the job mm -hmm. um 
and had two kids in that mm-hmm. time as well. So uh, a lot of sleepless nights. So that that it, uh, I, I think that that didn't hurt. I think I find my kids really inspiring, especially making a movie about kids, like mm-hmm. getting to have the experience of actually being a father. I think really helped in the end. But uh, it definitely slows things down a bit for sure. Um, <laughs> I get it. I got three. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Um, so yeah, but most of it was writing, and, and th- we had a few key kind of writing challenges that I can sort of talk about uh, now or, or, or later. But um, and then so a lot of writing, and then about uh, um, two years of development, just trying to find that money and trying to find those actors, and you know, um, and then um, and then you know the shoot as as usual with these things was kind of ridiculously short. I think it was like seventeen or eighteen days. Wow. Um, so that was really short. That um, is short. And then it, it ended up being two years of, of, of editing, um, So, um, which which seems crazy, actually. I would have thought it would be. Just and you edit it so too, right? Yeah, I did yeah. edit it. Yeah. 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 Um, and, um, and, and again, all this is like kind of part-time, right? So because I'm, I'm, work, I'm editing other people's projects mm-hmm. most of this time. Which is um, how you pay the bills, how you make how a I living. Pay the bills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. Even, if, uh, even if I... If it was full time, it still would have been sort of at least three, three or four years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, um, I've totally lost track of what the question was now. That's um, okay. I want to. We'll get back oh to yeah, the talent. Oh yeah, yeah, the brave, the brave and ch- yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there were, there were. Uh, despite me being so lucky, <laughs> it still felt. Uh, it often felt hard. Um, so we can talk about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I want to jump in that. I want to just make a couple observations. One, just thinking about the brave making process. Uh, anytime you hear interviews, at least when I do, I hear interviews on podcasts. I love them so much. I could easily get intimidated or insecure going, oh, look, it was so easy for that person. But, right. you know, obviously you're saying even with the grants, you know, it was a 10-year process and there's we'll talk about the challenges, but it required a lot of relying on other people. Yeah. That's the part that can, you know, it's that seems great is the filmmaking process is so collaborative and at the same time, you tend to feel a little bit lonely in the process because everyone's doing their things, everyone's trying, and then you connect, you know, you have that one development conversation, that casting thing, and then you're waiting, and then you're waiting. And I think that in and of itself, like for not for a filmmaker to not give up in that process is one of the bravest things you can do, to see it come to fruition. Right. Just to recognize, like, oh, I started the, k- the process with no kids, and now I got kids right. in other college. You know, no, I mean, but that's sometimes what it feels like to recognize, like, this is a big undertaking yeah. and to commit to that is I think part of the brave making process for me yeah um, the other thing is just uh, for for brave maker we desire if you're listening and you are just someone who's a patron excuse me if you're listening and you're a patron of the arts you aren't writing or directing or acting in any way it just goes to show we really do need people to give to the arts I feel like it's still such an under-resourced um, field especially in the Bay Area where we highlight tech and app creation and all these other great things that are happening here innovatively and technologically. But the arts tend to, you know, still get to the wayside a little bit where artists are waiting for people to believe in them. And so I'm hoping we can create a community where a lot of those who are working in these high tech spaces can portion percentages of their budgets to right. see more original content come. So if you're listening, that's the, one of the dreams of Brave Maker is we want to fund filmmakers. We want to see more original content come uh, out of the Bay Area. So just uh, put that in your pocket. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think it, yeah, I think it can be uh, uh, really fun too because I think um, you know if I had a if I had a, a, a ton of disposable income, right. I mean, honestly, I probably wouldn't give most of it to the arts. I'd I'd I'd, I'd you know find a, um, a, a charity that was mm-hmm. that was you know um, maybe sort of directly saving lives or something like that. But I would love to give a portion of it to the arts, and it's just so fun because you've become. You become part of the creative process. Mm-hmm. Like um, e- even if you're just giving the money, you're 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 um, you're forwarding that forwarding that project and providing the kind of this sort of injection of life into it, uh, usually at a really critical uh, stage. But filmmakers in general are totally happy to have you like you know come on set yep. or come and sit on the edit or the sound mixer, like what you know to get as involved as you want. We're not you know. Um, and and then and then when the film actually plays like a festival or something like that, it's, it's so and, fun. And you see the impact on the audience. Yeah. It's like a, a wonderful experience. Um, I, I think, and and it certainly has been for our for our yeah. investors and supporters. Yeah. I think what's neat too is thinking about the investment into the art as well as the artist. Uh, you know, startups and apps when they die, they die. They go away. You yeah. don't see them. You don't you right. don't remember their names. When you invest into an art or to an artist, those stories live on. Yeah. You know, sometimes if they don't make their money back. They still have a life, you know, that can have impact, that can create yeah. awareness, that can entertain. And you're pouring into a person, a human being. That's a story. I love that. I think that's really a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm certainly hoping that this uh, this feature collisions. Um, um, should I should I say let's what it's about? It. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about I'll it. Let's go into it. At least just say what it's about. Um, By it's the way, a, I kept I kept I kept um, misspelling collisions. I was like two L's, one S, two two S's, one L. Uh, and people would correct me like you're spelling collisions wrong. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't realize I had such an issue with this. C O L L I S I O N. Collisions. Yes, I O N. Yeah, and then another S on on the end. Yeah. So it is two L's and collisions. collisions. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's about a 12 year old Latina girl um, in San Francisco who comes home with her with her younger brother and their apartment's overturned and their mom is missing and she turns out she's been taken away um, by the immigration police and they're thrown together with their highly irresponsible possibly criminal uncle that they haven't seen for six years and he's a bad-tempered heavy drinking uh, big rig truck driver and not at all interested in kids doesn't really want to even know them but um, he agrees to kind of take them for one night, and then it turns into well, they just have to rely on him to help find her because she gets transferred to different detention centers around the country. So it it turns into this road trip with these two kids in the cab of his uh, big rig truck, and they're trying to find their mom and stop her her deportation. Um, so that that's the story of collisions, and um, uh, you know the goal of it is absolutely to to try to um, try to create more uh, empathy for the real families that are going through this. Like, um, I, I, I don't want people to be only relying on, on headlines or statistics about, about um, immigration issues because there are real families involved mm-hmm. and real families that are impacted by all of the policy changes that we vote about mm-hmm. or debate about. So um, I, I feel that, um, and I know that Brave Maker is very much aligned with this, that these these stories and, and stories on the screen can be the way that um, that humanity is added to the to the equation mm-hmm. that we we really relate to these people who are on the screen in a way that we wouldn't if we if we didn't if we don't personally know anyone that's going through it so I highly agree I mean um, this film is more relevant than ever right now as we we're in 2018 December 2018 when we're recording this podcast 
and just a week ago at the border of Tijuana, there was tear gas that was uh, thrown onto those who were seeking asylum at the border. And I tell you what, I was you know fixed upon these images just 800 miles away that this is happening, you know, on my right by um, in my state, you know, uh, and it was really, really sh shaking me. Like I can easily just turn away and not have to deal with it. And then, you know, uh, we were talking off podcast about our faith background. Um, you know, my, my faith background celebrates Christmas and the nativity story. And I want everything, you know, to be perfect. And you have these little perfect little Christmas cards with a little perfect Joseph and Mary and a little baby swallowed, swaddled up. But I think one of the most powerful things I have been taking in is that stu that story is a human refugee story yeah. and we don't recognize that. And so yeah. I totally agree that your, um, this, this piece gives us a window into real people and especially the fact that it's a, it's about these kids these kids story and how speaking of innovation how innovative itan the main uh, actress errol is how she uses her her phone i mean i was super impressed so how did this story come to be how did you a new zealand white guy <laughs> who's living in san francisco want to tell this story yeah it's a really good question uh, i get asked it a lot um I guess the first part of the answer is that I am um, an immigrant myself, you uh -huh. know, coming from New Zealand. Um, I have not had any of the kind of difficulties that are portrayed in this um, in this film. Um, but nevertheless, I, I share with all immigrants um, that I have come from my own country, separated myself from mm. my family, w with whom I'm super close, mm. in order to pursue a dream, and yeah. and that's and that's tough because. Um, um, even though I can, I am freely allowed to go and see my family in New Zealand. I still don't do. I haven't done it for three years now, and that's and I'm really close with those guys. So mm -hmm. um, it's 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 really tough. Um, so the idea that I I could be living here and not even allowed to go and see them, or if I went to go and see them, I'd risk not being able to get back into the U.S. That's um, and 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 when I talk to people who've lived and worked here for. 10 years and sending money you know for instance back to families in mexico and haven't seen their kids for 10 years and and and, and maybe that kid was like one year old when they left mm -hmm. like i just it's just heartbreaking mm -hmm. to me especially now that i have my own kids i just cannot imagine that um um, um so yeah I, I i so that's that's part of the reason the other part of the reason is that um uh, because my wife Serene teaches in this uh, in this local school, which is about eighty five percent Latino and also about eighty five percent, I think, um, uh, below the poverty line. It's um, these stories feel very real to her, and she tells them to me every day. Wow. And so I, I feel like I'm um, um, have been drawn into that into that world. Um, and you know, we made our short film, literally shot it at her school, featuring a bunch of the students from her school, and, mm -hmm. and some of those students from her school were also involved in in making uh, this movie. Um, and then um, this particular story idea, as I said, came from Malin Alegria, the the original premise of the girl coming home from school and finding her mom taken away. And then. Um, the, and the other thing that was happening at the same time was a particular girl in my wife's class, um, uh, one of her brightest students, a uh, very happy and academically um, strong uh, kid, suddenly started behaving, um, she would, I in a different way, she would cry for no reason, um, 
um, she was more disinterested in her in her schoolwork, and and Zareen just could not figure out why, and took weeks of building trust with her and her mom to figure out that what had just happened was her father had just been deported. Um, so. And, and that was at a time when I, I think, naively thought that because San Francisco was a sanctuary city, I naively thought that meant that raids didn't happen in San Francisco. And so that was kind of a rude, uh, mm. like a wake-up call for me. Of course they do. They happen a lot. Um, and, um, um, you know, the, the city of San Francisco tries its best not to cooperate directly with the federal authorities, but it cannot prevent them coming in and doing these raids. So... Um, and and there are a bunch of raids happening back then, and a lot of fear, um, and and there's even more fear right now. And and, and Zareen's school, they're having to, you know, um, send notices home to parents saying, you know, this school is a sanctuary. There will not be agents coming in here. Um, wow. Um, but the fear is very very real in in, in our community, and so. Um, and all of that stuff just really makes me angry. And, and I get so angry about it that I feel like I have to do something. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and, and I guess I've figured out that as a, as a filmmaker, I'm just really drawn to, like if a story does not have a reason to be other than my own ego, then I'm just less interested. I'm just not really interested in it. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that is, is actually from experience, I've figured out these films are going to take such a long time, yeah. I'm going to have to have something that's keeping me going. For me, I have to have something that's keeping me going. That's not just my own ego. That's yeah. not just the desire to make a, a work of art. Mm -hmm. It has to have a reason that's bigger than me, that the world needs this film or uh, films like this to tell these stories. So um, so th th that's huge for me. That, that's that's a huge part of how I get the energy to, to, to sustain through a 10-year through a project is that th this problem is not going away and it makes me angry every time mm -hmm. I think about it um, that the family should have to go through mm -hmm. this. So, um, so, yeah. I think it's so cool when you think about how uh, in society there's people who are drawn to advocate for the under-resourced through law. There are people who go into... Uh, police work. There are people who go into education, and you know, there are people who go into the arts for many different reasons. But I tend to see and hear stories of a lot of people like you who believe that the power of story can influence and create change and make empathy. And I think that's so cool. I think 25 years ago, when I gave up my dream, I was told that everyone who went to Hollywood was narcissistic. Now we're not in Hollywood, but I mean like the idea of the entertainment industry and so i love connecting with people who are doing what you're doing so thanks oh thank you for yeah, doing well, your yeah work. i mean i think there's a there's an element of truth to what you're saying as well and i think um i mean part of it is narcissistic and part of it is ego driven and i do want to create a, 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 a beautiful work of art and i um and my ego is definitely in there um but i feel like i don't want that i, I always want to meditate and center myself and 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 move beyond the limitations of my own ego and working on a story that has this um that is um that that i think needs to get out there uh, about a about a group of people that are completely underrepresented in the media really helps me I, it's an aid to me in minimizing my own ego <laughs> mm -hmm. or at least controlling it controlling yeah. my rampant ego yeah <laughs> And what were some of those challenges you wanted to talk about in writing it? Yeah, well, okay, so the challenges in writing, um, 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 the main challenge, honestly, was um, 
trying to figure out a way in which the story um, could be one that was not totally dark and depressing um, because I want to make a story about this issue which is at the moment pretty depressing mm-hmm. but um, if I tune into a movie on Netflix on a Sunday night and, and the description reads <laughs> dark and heartbreaking tale of, yeah. of, of despair like I'm probably I might go to the next one you okay. know like um, so I wanted to have some element in it that was more fun and more positive and um and 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 th- th- there was th- there was always a character even from the very first script that that that, that Marlene helped helped write. There was always a character that was trying to fulfill that role, but um, it took a long time to figure out exactly who that person should be. And 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 the big breakthrough I think came when we finally realized that it needed to be. And I was working with a friend of mine, Adam Kecker, who's a awesome uh, script consultant and a very good friend. Um, and we had this kind of retreat um, uh, at his, his, his dad's place up in Hillsburg, which is lovely. And um, finally figured out that um, this person needed to be the uncle, this mm-hmm. kind of um, um, uncle I hadn't seen for years and was and had kind of exiled himself from the family and had his own like deep issues that, that needed to be addressed. And basically someone that just hates them and doesn't even want to deal with them. So immediately there's some conflict, but it's a lighter kind of conflict than the conflict of, of the kids versus the, the immigration enforcement system. Um, so that, th- th- that felt really good. And that, but th- that took years to, <laughs> to get to that point. Wow. It, it seems weird. It seems like an obvious thing now, but like um, it, it took a long time to figure that out. And um once we'd figured that, and, and actually the the character of the younger brother was not was not always ah. in the not always in the film either. And around the same time, he came into the story, and the combination of those two added a lot more lightness, and um, it made it more of a family drama that's cap- that's happening um, against a backdrop of mm-hmm. immigration enforcement, rather than just being an issue film and, 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 yeah. and nothing else. And that's and so cool. That was, yeah. It's been described as a coming of age story, road trip drama or something like that. And an issue film, which is really cool to have all those elements coming together. It makes it really appealing to want to engage in. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, but for me, without those other things that I, I don't think it'd be watchable. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the sad truth is, you know, what mm. really, happens to kids often in this situation. I, I would read tons of reports by like Amnesty International and so on and they would they would just study what happens to kids when they when their parents get deported and, and you know, you can probably guess that they get super depressed. They 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 often stop doing their work even if they're super bright students. They have appetite issues. They um um if they're younger kids they they wet their bed at night. I mean it's just tragic, tragic mm-hmm. stuff that, that honestly I don't I don't even want to see that in a in a in a fiction film that's still supposed to be entertaining on some level, mm-hmm. you know? I just I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to go all the way there. I wanted to do something that's a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. So um um and part of that is part of that is actually for the community that I'm that I'm trying to represent yeah. because um I- it's funny like in trying to get the film out there um I've even uh, I I just recently got a rejection uh, by a well-known um uh, in the industry, a well-known uh, studio um, that, that that puts out Latino content, and they were just like, "We we love the film. We think it's great." But like in our experience, some people in our audience like um, 
just even that they might have lived this experience and they don't want to see it on the screen mm -hmm. and too and painful too painful and honestly that has not been our experience with actually showing it yeah. we, one of the most gratifying things is we've had a bunch of people come up to us afterwards and say that was me and thank yeah, you for that's cool putting that on the screen and i feel validated and um that's great and and you know they're, they're crying but i think they've they've they're thanking me so i'm, I'm assuming that they've gotten yeah. something that's really positive out of it so so you know i i want to i want to challenge that and say yes this is a film that can be is absolutely made for the people going through it as well as for the people that have no idea about mm -hmm. it um but um but but it, it is an issue it, it's a, it's a it's a delicate sure. line to walk like because you're trying to make entertainment but you're also trying yep. to make uh, a film about a real issue so i got to see it at the mill valley film festival on the big screen and obviously won the audience award there and i was in the room it was w so well received many many people moved there and that's uh, i can i well, I want to talk about your cast as well but that's how uh in conversation with jesse who plays the uncle uh the brave maker film festival we had connected in that way and doing the screening that we're doing here, December 2018, I had someone ask me, you know, will my Latino friends feel patronized in any way? Will they feel like this is whitewashed or this is just cliche? And I said, oh, not by any means. I think this is a dignifying, real human story that the Latino community would be proud of. Uh, and in the same way, the next question was, well, ooh, will, they, will they feel uncomfortable then? Will they not want to, you know, put their butt in this seat to watch this film because it's too painful. I said, well, there might be a little bit of that for sure, but I think it's so beautifully done in a way that it gives hope. And it talks about the resilience of family and how in the Latino community in which there is a fear of deportation with undocumented family members, that there's this hopefully desire to cling to one another and find hope to reconcile where there is separation in any way that if they're ever suffered, they would ever suffer this type of fate, that there might be some hope that there could be some reconciliation, you know, in the end. So that's that's how I've been describing it as people ask those deeper questions. And I appreciate them because I think, you know, when you're trying to, like you said, you're trying to make art, but you're also trying to sell something commercially, you want to see there be both of those elements. And I, I hope that you get some more connection so it can get out there. So I do want to talk about your cast. And let's talk about the next steps for the film and kind of what's going on there. So uh, Jesse Garcia uh, is how I connected to you. And he's uh, currently in Mexico filming for Narcos. Is it Narcos Mexico? I think that's what it is. Oh, great. Yeah. On Netflix. So he can't, he's gone out of the country for four or five months. But he plays the uncle. How did you guys connect? Yeah, he was the first of the cast uh, okay. to, to come on board. And uh, yeah, he's amazing. I, I, I saw him in Quinceañera. Uh, uh-huh. Um, uh, which is an amazing film, um, and um, and and he's amazing in it. Um, and so I was aware of him from that, um, and so he was on my radar. And then um, a producer of um, one of my main uh, producers, Vincent Cortez, was also a fan of Jesse's from his work in, in the TV series for, <laughs> from Dust Till yeah, Dawn. Yeah, the El Rey so, Network, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and so, yeah, we, we and we, and uh, Heidi uh, knew him or knew his agent, so we were able to get in touch with him and get a script to him. And um, I remember the first uh, phone conversation we had, um, um, and, and Jesse was great. He was like, he was kind of straight into business. He was like <laughs> um, talking about the script, different aspects of the script. He said, if I do come on, I want to like actually 
read through the script with you and there's some 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 dialogue notes that I would have and yeah. I said it's, it's, that sounds great um because he um, actually became a producer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and and right from the beginning, he wanted to be involved yeah. in that. And I think Jesse really gets it because he's been involved in a. Uh, you know, he does these bigger TV shows and bigger movies, but he's also very much a producer and filmmaker himself. And um, he's, he's made uh, made some great short films and um, and produced. Um, uh, produced some other films, and he gets indie low budget mm -hmm. filmmaking, and so. He just wanted to help in that way, you know. Wanted to make sure that it actually happens and and gets out there. Which is a that. filmmaker. That's one of the best gifts is to have an actor who doesn't come onto set entitled to, you know, have all his or her needs met, but says, "Oh, right. actually, no, I want to co-create. I'm a creator. I want to be a maker with you." And that I love hearing that. Like it, that's got to yeah. feel so good. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 from the beginning, he was uh, just super helpful. He was. Um, helped me in like, making the decisions on the other cast. Um, it was really Jesse, actually, that got um, Ana de la Reguera uh -huh. for us um, because they they were friends. They'd met um, on, on the From Dust Till Dawn yeah. uh, set, and um, and and uh, he was the one that, that um, convinced her to – helped wow. convince her to do it. That's um, great. And Ana plays the mother. Ana plays the mother, yeah. Deported, yeah. Yeah, the, the – um, um, uh, another really key part of that was Anna's manager is a lawyer who does pro bono work representing kids that come across the border unaccompanied. Oh, wow. And Anna is very much into um, immigration issues herself. And so the manager was like, yeah, even though the, you know, the, um, the, 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 the entire budget of this film is like, uh, <laughs> is, 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 you know, um, is it the same order of magnitude as what I'd normally ask for your right, fee? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Nevertheless, you should do this film. Well, so, yeah, um, and again, you got to interject this too because uh, uh, filmmakers who are listening to this podcast or people who want to make films, this is really strategic to find actors who, if you have a, a, a an issue film or a film that can appeal to an actor's heart in some way or their charity they're giving their why they seem to exist you know that's a great way to invite someone onto a project and exactly, you'll yeah. usually um be able to partner with them in a lower um fee like a, they're, they're, they'll they'll drop their scale if they're passionate about the project if they believe in what it's talking about because they want to do things that have substance yeah. they can make the big budget salaries on you know the tv shows and movies that don't, don't really have any any heart to it but they're willing to work on something they love at a lower price so. yeah yeah we we, we we were we were sag but we were sag ultra low budget well, mm -hmm. agreements yeah. so um so yeah literally we're just paying these guys like yeah. um it's not even a fraction of what they would what right. they would what they would usually make, but um, but you know their their heart was just totally in it, and um, and then the two kids, um, as I was saying, Heidi put out a casting notice in, in L.A. We, we we looked at some kids here in San Francisco as well, um, um, and but I think just in L.A. there's just so many more kids that are really doing it as a as a career, um, and so we went and uh, we did an initial round and, and uh, picked some kids and went down there for callbacks and um, had already, the kids that we ended up casting were already kind of top of my list and we, so we scheduled them for last in the callbacks mm. and we scheduled them together. Mm. And interestingly, they were the only two kids that um, really just immediately got it in terms of their relationship as a brother and sister. They were completely believable as, as siblings um, right there in the, in the, in the callback. And they're also super sweet and supportive of each other. Cool. Like they wanted to not only do their scene together, but sit in the room while the other was doing their their mm. kind of solo reads, 
and then they'd say good job afterwards and like you nailed that that's cool <laughs> and so they were just lovely together movie and, magic right yeah, there and, and, and brilliant individually yeah. and, and and i remember they they both left the room to be with their parents i turned to heidi and said can we just tell these guys they've got the roles like right here and now? Uh -huh. said, why not? And so we just uh, pulled them back into the room and there was just a, that's beautiful. that was a really emotional moment for me because that was really the moment I knew that, it, that, that this could be a film that would work because yeah. it, without magical magic, this is what Jesse told me too, without magical kids, this yeah. is just not going to work. Yeah. So, um, I remember he had told me that too. So, I think he wasn't yeah. able to be at the casting, but you sent him the video and he knew like just yeah, watching it or I, I, I sent him their, their video reels yeah. and Jesse was like, yeah, just do whatever you got to do to get these kids. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the ones. So, yeah. That's cool. Um, well, yeah. Anything else you want to say about the cast or casting or anything like that? Yeah. Well, um, I honestly wasn't thinking about it so much at the time, but having, Anna in the film is, I think, is helping us on on the on the sales and distribution. Okay. I mean, actually, having all of these uh, mm -hmm. all these actors are have a have a profile and have a have a fan base. But um, Anna's currently on Goliath, I believe, right? Yeah, on she's on Goliath, and she's been on Narcos, yeah. and um, she's like a Nacho Libre, uh -huh, and uh -huh, some uh -huh. other you know bigger bigger films. Um, and um so yeah and and you know jesse has a following and and uh, isabel and jesse have followings but um anna has kind of like a ridiculous following she has like 1.6 million followers on twitter and and she because she, she was a telenovela star mm -hmm. in, in mexico and before she even you know started um uh, doing doing more us-based uh, projects and so um she is um um she's not a, a household name in like you know a, a, a white household in the US mm -hmm. but among most latino um households in the US and 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 in latin america people know who That's she great. is yeah. and they know who she is and she they're kind of like they love her sure. you know what i mean they're like they they um some of those stars just really connect with people in a way that they they feel like they, they feel like family to the mm -hmm. people to their fans, and, and so that's what you want. I mean, again, yeah. it's strategic. You've got to think like, I want to sell this movie. I want it to make its money back. Yeah, I want to yes. do more movies, so I got to yes. get people. How many? So you shot eighteen days. How many days was she on set? Oh goodness, that's a really. I should, I I knew that two years ago. Um, <laughs> let's see. Because she's in a she's in a third of the movie potentially, yeah. right? Yeah, I think it was. I have a feeling it's like four or five of those days. And that's great, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, so yeah. you think about you're not asking someone to give up a month. Yeah. You know, it's like less than a week. And right. you have this great solid actor who's yeah. she's every scene she's in, she's compelling. Right. And you want to watch her. Yeah. And then she brings a following of people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 um, yeah, it's so it, it's, I think going to really help us on, on, on this, on the, uh, sales, sales end of And so where are you with it right now? Um, so we're, you know, just starting our festival run, we played Mill Valley and the downtown LA film festival and, um, and just starting to reach out to sales agents and, and distributors and, and have some, have some promising leads, but, um, have not, uh, have not yet signed with a sales agent. So we'll, you know, we can, we'll check back in with you, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, when that happens. Um, um, and yeah, and, and just begin i i've decided from talking to some filmmaker friends i've realized that um it's not always a good idea to just to just to wait for the sales agent to do all the work in terms of reaching out to the distributors that it's perfectly fine to reach out to distributors yourselves and, and make those connections and and again through um it's been helpful uh, some of the people at sf film have been helpful in making some of those uh, connections like i mean literally they'll have sf film fairly frequently will host 
a VP of acquisitions will give a talk mm -hmm. at film house mm -hmm. and so you know i just go along there mm -hmm. and um and go and talk to them afterwards and say hey i have a film would you like to watch it so um so th th that's been very helpful um and yeah it, it's it's you know we talk about these parts of the process that are hard this is one honestly this is i think the hardest uh, part has been after making the film first of all waiting to hear back from film festivals and then now waiting to hear back from from sales agents or distributors or whatever, it's 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 pretty brutal because again, you know, you try to minimize your ego or not let it not let it get out of control. But this is the part where that where it's you just feel very vulnerable. You know, like it's it, it, every rejection feels like a personal rejection, yeah. and and of course, everyone tells you that it's not, and and on your good days, you realize it isn't personal. Mm -hmm. Like like you know, I've made a decent film that that a lot of people like, but it didn't fit their slate or or they feel like it's too dark, or or or, or whatever. Um, but it, and I shouldn't take it personally. But on those bad days, you definitely 100% take it personally. Mm -hmm. and it feels like a like a rejection of you personally, and that uh, uh, yeah. So, um, but um, yeah, it, th I think the really important thing through all of this, all the rejection and the um, the waiting around, is to have at least you know if, if you're if you're doing a low budget indie and you're the director you'll likely are the main person that's going to be the thread that carries it through but if you at least have one or two or three people that you check in with at least like once a week or so and so i have a couple of the producers who are still um, very active at the moment well jesse is um still pretty active um or still very active on it and f following up with me and fraser bradshaw and vincent cortez and so those three guys i check in with sort of once every week or two and um and not only just checking in uh, on status, but also kind of geeing each other up a little bit. And um, the other thing is that I've had throughout the 10 years of doing this, this little group of uh, friends has been either three or four of us, and it's mostly been the same people. Um, uh, right now it's uh, Truckee Lynch and John Dilley. And we just added uh, another friend, Lisa Costello. But Truckee and John especially have been with me throughout the entire process. And we have a weekly meeting. We call it our RARA meeting. So we get together at a bar. Um, it's called Rara because we, we kind of G each other up. <laughs> Rara. But, 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 but what it really is, it's kind of a laundry list. Um, mm. So it's, our, it's the way we've come up with to break up a project that might be one year, two year, 10 years and break it up into, well, what am I going to do this week? Mm. So we just give a laundry list of what we were supposed to do the previous week. So goals, you're, it's yeah. a goal thing. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's laundry list of, uh, not a laundry list, it's a list of goals. Yeah, cool. So what we were supposed to do the previous week, and did we do it or not, and then what we're supposed to do the next week. So the entire meeting, we, we've done the entire meeting in five minutes, So, Great. which is why we've managed to keep doing it weekly for, like, for drink, 10 years. Just drink it afterwards. Then we drink. <laughs> or, you know, if, we, if we're actually busy, we yeah. literally just do, we meet for 15 yeah. minutes and then just go home. Yeah. Or, or we sit around and do some small talk and drinking afterwards, depending on how much time we have. But, um, but um, that has been really key because it breaks up this super long-term project into, you know, what are, my, what are my goals this week? And so instead of worrying about am I going to sell the film or, you know, am I gonna, ever going to find a distributor? It's like, no, my goals for this week is to follow up with this, this sales agent and that sales agent and this distributor and that distributor. And, um, and, and that's basically it. And, yeah. and then next week it'll be, it'll be a, a different thing, but like eventually over a few months, I'll get quite a lot done that way. And, and, and having, having that, um, degree of accountability with some good friends that can kind of G you up is that that's been really key for me getting through, uh, 
getting through the the, the, the slow the slow periods. I, I guess I guess for me the the hard parts are the slow parts. Like yep. the um, there's a few brief moments where it's all activity. And then I don't even really need those meetings. I mean, it's still fun to go to those meetings and say, oh, I'm just about to shoot my film. Yeah, my, my you got enough this, to do. My yeah. list for this week, I have a thousand things. I'm yeah. going to give you the executive summary. Like, yeah. do pre-production. Um, so then then you don't even really need the meetings, but it's still fun to go. But like a time like now, where it's mm-hmm. mostly waiting around, it's, it, it's really vital, I think, to be checking in with people and uh, getting that sort of um, validation and... and um, and uh, kind of geeing up that you need. So. That's so practical because sometimes we f- make the art life so like fantasy oriented. It's like you know, reach your dreams, pursue all these you know things that seem so like cloudy, airy, fairy type things. But really, right. it's just get goals. Yeah. Your deadlines are your best friend. Yes. If you can do you know five things in a week, you know, yeah. then you're on your way. Like a movie doesn't just kind of appear out of thin air. It's yeah. a plan. You have yeah. to work the plan. You have to write a script. You have to find a team. You have to yeah. get money. You have to get locations. You have So those all come with like little, just check, you know, uh, doesn't sound so creative and artistic to check off a box, but really every creative endeavor comes with checking off a bunch of boxes. Yeah. And so I love that you have a weekly meeting. So I think again, great takeaway for our listeners, brave makers, uh, put this on your to-do list, make a list of things you need to do to start that project or to finish that project or to yeah. get through that project. That's so huge. And again, not always like the, the glamorous advice we think, uh, uh everyone wants to hear, but that's really one of the yeah. main things. And I would say, you know, I, I, um, um, we're, we're, I'm not copywriting this idea, but get together with um, a friend or two or three. I'd, I would say we've been doing this for 10 years now, so I think we've got it down. Like I think a maximum of four people, mm-hmm. so a really small group. And you know, most of this time was actually writing, but it was not like we'd heard of, or not just heard of, we've done writing groups where you, you'll meet every week and you'll read pages and, 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 that, and, and that can be great as well, but this was not that. This was like literally just a, tiny list of things uh, that you're supposed to do that week and because of that it could be super short and very efficient um i, I hate meetings that like drag on for hours agreed so, so um you know you do your list then have a beer or go home or whatever and then uh, do the same again the next week and when it's writing it might be it depends how you write right it might have for me it might have been try to write 10 pages or try to get like halfway through the first act or or try to um flesh out character descriptions of these three characters or whatever um uh you know uh, john dilly right now is going through writing a uh, writing a script so he's he's giving goals like that like try to get to the mm-hmm. the climax of act three by by next week and, it, and it's really great to be able to report that right it's great so it, as a writer like it, otherwise you're just like oh i'm in the middle of a script some somewhere yeah yeah um so yeah um yeah, highly recommend that. But not only making the list, but having, but but getting a small group of people, a small accountability group of people to get uh, together to meet with has been really key for me. Not a word we always like, accountability, but it's good. <laughs> Keep yeah. accountable. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So final things. Any any shows you're watching, movies you think have helped you in your career, or books that you've read that have helped your uh, filmmaking career? Hmm, that's a really good question. Because uh, honestly, as a filmmaker, I constantly feel guilty about this. I don't, I don't watch nearly enough films. I, I, I'm always like, um, I'd rather spend the time making something than watching <laughs> something. Yeah. But I know it's a mistake actually. Like I, because every time I do watch something, whether it's good or bad, I, I learn, I learn mm-hmm. a ton. Um, I guess um, I was uh, like in making this. This is probably going to make you laugh because the film I think is ends up nothing like this. But in, I was 
kind of trying to make a western in a way like i i love uh especially like uh, old time um american westerns like uh-huh. from like the 70s like butch cassidy and the sundance okay. kid and, and movies like that uh-huh. um both in terms of like the some of the character interactions and also in terms of th- things like lighting like the kind of low-key lighting and stuff like that so um that was definitely an inspiration um watched a bunch of movies about f- featuring kids and kids in in sometimes uh uh, oppositional relationships with 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 uh, uh, older figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, another movie I love is uh, Perfect World with Kevin Costner. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know that. Oh, it's, it's an old it's one. Not, yeah, yeah. Uh, Clint Eastwood directing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's a, just a great film. Um, again, about a, about a, a convict on the run with a, with a kid. Um, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Um, what's what's the other one oh, but paper moon is another uh-huh, amazing that's a good uh, one uh, older that's film. Yeah. yeah um so th- those are inspirations about the specific topic um honestly i think my guilty pleasure in terms of films i love to watch um or science fiction films and and i'd love my my next one i'm, I'm I, the ideal would be for it to be a science fiction film cool. also with a social justice um, cool theme um in fact i recently watched um well as far as i know is the very first uh uh, science fiction feature and and I was really struck because I always knew that science fiction very frequently is social justice but I was really struck that the very first one that Metropolis Fritz Lang's Metropolis is it's almost too um, in your face that the, the social justice aspect of it it's completely mm. a social social justice kind of parable mm. um, uh, th- that's extremely relevant to where we are right now you talk about the, the, the like one aliens the, 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 and well it, it, it well, you, t- you talk about the one percent and the ninety nine percent. It's like it's literally this one um, percent of humanity that's privileged, living above ground, and supported by the ninety nine percent living below ground, uh-huh. uh, d- doing the work to make that make that all work. And 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 there's a romance to make it a bit lighter. There's a romance happening between the boy from the above ground and the girl from below ground, mm. and it's it's amazing the, the the special effects are what's amazing what's the name of the film uh, Me- metropolis oh metropolis yeah yeah, okay. yeah the special effects are amazing mm. like like some of them really like stand up even <laughs> even mm. now mm. um it's, it's just it's an extraordinary film um so um so yeah yeah i i, I love uh, science fiction my, my kind of guilty guilty pleasure um, i love it that's so, awesome yeah. and um, brave making in all of those genres so right on all right so richard where can people find you richard levine collisions yeah, uh, so collisionsmovie.com and um, uh, also facebook.com slash collisionsmovie um, and Instagram and Twitter as well, also collisionsmovie. Um, so yeah, check us out. And we've got a mailing list on uh, collisionsmovie, so if you want to be notified about upcoming screenings um, then, and stuff like that, then uh, please sign up. Awesome. And if all goes well, we'll see it in the June festival at uh, the Brave Maker. Oh, yes. Unless yeah, you guys sell and you're somewhere else before then, but we'll see. Yeah, no, definitely looking forward to that. All right on. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Okay, thank Appreciate you so much, Tony. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend. Brave stories change the world. You are the story.